Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 41 of the Theatrical Mustang Podcast. I'm your host, Katie Woodzik. This episode is with the extremely talented Angela DeMarco. It was the first time I've really gotten to sit down and chat with her. I've, I've seen her work before, and it was absolutely amazing. As I post this episode, Angela's in tech for Knocking Bird by Emily Combert, which is a world premiere play produced by The Umbrella Project, which is an organization that's trying to make Seattle a destination for new play development. And I have to tell you, after speaking with Angela in this interview, I basically went right online and bought my ticket because she's so passionate about the craft of acting and I can't wait to see her on stage. So, Knocking Bird opens September 11th and runs through October 3rd. It's at West of Lennon, and you can get tickets via brown paper tickets. We'll have the link in the episode description. We also talk about her production company, Mighty Tripod Productions, and we have the link to that website in our episode description as well with all the great stuff that they're working on in film and actor training. So, enjoy episode 41 with Angela DeMarco. over the moon to welcome the talented, feisty, really successful Angela DeMarco oh to my podcast. At least that's how I see you. That's oh. how I see you through your social media posts. And then also, the first time I saw you perform live was Lisa Halpern's reading of Margarita Stans with oh. the Seattle Rep Writers Group. But then I saw you before that in Anisha's uh, web series Crave, and oh, so yeah. now we get to like sit down and talk to each other, and I'm super excited. Well, thank you for thank you for having me. Oh, you're so welcome. So we are uh, talking about Knocking Bird, which is a show that's opening on September 11th with Correct. Umbrella Project. Mm -hmm. Tell me all about this show. Okay, uh, so Knocking Bird. This will be the world premiere, but the play, and it's by Emily Combert, and she started off as this just being, I believe it was like a 10-minute short. Uh, and it's had this great birth process. Uh, it went from that into a one-act, into going through Rep's program, the same that I did with Lisa's uh, play, and now has become a full-length uh, three-act play. So this is also not only its world premiere, but Umbrella Project, which is a brand new organization run by four amazing artists that they want to be basically the, um, not the only source, but one of the major sources to bring new works to Seattle. And so this is their first production as well. So it's just a lot of firsts. And uh, I have, not by choice, but just by... <laughs> lack of auditioning, or I've been really sucked into the film world. I haven't been on stage for about a year. Oh, so my gosh. It's, um, which I miss it, so I'm so glad to be back. So when I auditioned, I just thought, oh, I'm just getting my, my little birdie feet wet again. <laughs> um, and Paul Bedritus was amazing during the audition and the callback, and I got to be paired up with Samuel Hagen. And Sir Hagen and I did a show uh, a while back at Annex Theater called Team of Heroes. Okay, yeah, yeah. Um, with the wonderful Jamie Roberts directing, where I got to yell and scream and be a bitch. And um, <laughs> so this was kind of cool to be more the introvert or more the fragile and a little bit sexual Iza in Knocking Bird. And so we discovered all this great stuff in the room, and then I got the call, and I got the offer, and I did a happy dance. <laughs> and then I found out I would also be working with Alex Samuels, who is phenomenal. So it's just me and these three guys, and we've been rehearsing now. Uh, gosh, I think we're going on our, this is our third week. We go into tech this weekend. And um, and I'm not just saying this. It is, it is by far one of the most difficult roles I've ever done. And that's on stage or screen or TV. Uh, it's very physically demanding, vocally demanding. The language, the text that Emily's written, I love her to death. She's such an amazing, amazing writer. She came here from the East Coast. And when she first wrote it, she was pregnant. And okay. that's when it was just that 10 minute. And now, this full length, she was pregnant with her second 
which she has given birth to, a beautiful daughter. Congratulations. Uh, I don't want to give away too much, but when I first read the play, it really lends itself, from my character's perspective, is a, for a woman, what is it like to carry a human being inside of you? What is it like to be able to know you can bring life into the world? And what if you're doing so with someone that you are in love with? And what if you're doing so with someone that you're not in love with? And then removing that, what I also got from the play, is it's so much about hope. Mm. And I think that that's the case for all three characters. And what my character is, a, I think, struggles with is how far will you go to fulfill what you believe is your true self and how far will you go to be what someone else needs you to be and jeez, uh, you know if someone can't relate to those I think they're each of these characters someone's going to relate to somebody somebody might hate me or they might love me someone might hate Mason or love Mason and someone might hate Billy or love Billy but all three of these characters are so intriguing and it's such a dark cerebral <laughs> cluster of amazing magical moments there's almost a cinematic feel to the play if that makes sense because there's a lot of imagery and what our director Paul is doing you guys and I'm not just saying get a ticket come see the show but he is really mixing the mediums mm -hmm. so we're gonna have a, a lot of uh, sound and uh, we have a videographer, and there's going to be a, a, a lot of great things being built for the show. Again, I don't want to do any spoilers, but there's it's just something that on the page, I thought, how, how will you do this in a little black box? And, uh, and we're doing it, and it's blowing my mind. I'm so excited. So excited. <laughs> so the show uh, opens on the 11th, runs through October 3rd. There October is an 3rd. industry night. Um, Monday the 21st. And so. if people want to get their tickets and more information, which they will, they yes. want to visit UmbrellaProjectNW.org, and we'll have all that information Correct. in the episode description. Yes. Can you talk a little bit about what it's, what has that journey been like for you as an actor not being in a rehearsal hall for a year uh -huh. and then coming back into it? What is that? What has that been like energetically for you? Oh, Katie. <laughs> uh, let's see. I think I, I have a lot more gray hair. Um, yep, we'll be dyeing the hair for the show. Um, uh, seriously, it's been it was it's been really stressful. It's been really hard for me, and I think it's uh, but in a good way. And again, I love Emily. I do think this is just a difficult play. I mean, there's a lot. There's almost a uh, there's a rhythm to the way it needs to, and we're still finding that. So, A, you just had to get off book, and you have 95 pages. It's wow. a very different way of working. You know, film, uh, sure, you still could have a 95 to maybe a little uh, bigger of a screenplay, but for 95 pages for a three-person show, I'm rarely off stage. Uh, same for the boys. So it's just a lot of text, and she's a really clever writer with a lot of interrupts and overlaps and ellipses, and you have to honor that. And our director, Paul, has been amazing at saying, if we do this and honor what Emily's written, it will make or break the show. It'll still be amazing if you ignored it, but you should never ignore what a writer gives you. Um, and last night we had our first run-through, and it was kind of that moment of me like half pooping myself and also uh i didn't really everyone uh but also this okay angela what's up can you do this because i have i'll be honest with you i've had a lot of meltdowns the past three weeks and it's just been i wanted this role so badly and it's not a, i need to prove i can still be a stage actor i've been doing professional theater for over 15 years and you could say it's like riding a bike but there is a different way that you attack stage so it, it's, it's been a lot of me crying to my husband, David Hogan, and he's been very supportive. And then I'm like, oh, he has to do that. So then I'll cry to my mom. And then she's been really <laughs> supportive. And I think it was just getting your brain back into that mode of, okay, this is how you memorize and this is how you do it. Uh, and the connection with the actors, that, that just came. Working with a director and rehearsing, all of that was natural. The physicalization 
I won't pop my age in here, but I'm not in my 20s anymore. Barely in my 30s. <laughs> so uh, physically, it's definitely been challenging. And a lot of people think because I'm small and mighty, oh, she must work out and she doesn't. No, I'm just, I got my mom's jeans. So <laughs> I'm still, you know, it's an adrenaline <laughs> situation, but it's also, I need to have an endurance buildup. So it's also building that endurance versus film. You can cut go have another coffee, go back and do it again. So it has just been getting back on that bike and making sure that I can do all five speeds, if that makes sense. So knock on wood, last night it was awesome. And all the text was there and all the 95 pages was in me. And it was the first time I went home and really felt like, okay, I'm in a good place. I got this. Uh, I'm, I'm not pooping as much. I shouldn't talk about poop so much. <laughs> I, I love. I know. I thank you for being so transparent about that because I think people sometimes have this perception of actors of like they do it all and they're a machine and they're delicious and all of that. And a lot of their work in the rehearsal hall is sort of unzipping yourself and being vulnerable and being open and being honest about challenges and all of that. And so. Thank you for giving that perspective on it. I really appreciate it. Of course. I, oh, sorry. Go oh, ahead. No, please. No, I was going to say, I think I even, not I, I think, I posted a Vine, for those of you on Vine, uh, <laughs> and many Twitters on my accounts of me flipping through 95 pages so people could see it and see all the little highlighting and all the marking, and then me screaming. <laughs> I posted that just to show people. And then I, there was a point where part of me thought, I shouldn't be posting all this vulnerability because I don't want people to think I don't have it anymore. But I agree with you, Katie. It's like, it's, if we don't post our vulnerability, then we're not human. And if we're not human and we're not vulnerable, then what kind of actor are you? I, I think if people just think stuff is coming easy and I don't think it's an age thing. So I say that half jokingly, I really think it is also what you choose to dive into. And the reason this play is so challenging is we've got this edge of experimentality about it and naturalism and on the first day Paul said this great line he said so for all of you uh, he said this to me and the boys he said you guys need to understand this play is on a, a very thin line that this side is naturalism and this side is uh, stylism he said and it's neither it's Emily Combert mm. and it was just like <gasps> and I swear this woman will be referred to like that years from now people go Oh, I'm doing a compare. You know, I just, I think it, she has written something and is creating things. And now I want to read everything she's ever written that challenge artists. And if we all could have stuff like that, oh my God, I think it would just open every side of your brain possible. So I had to say that. No, I love yeah. it. Can you talk a little bit about working on a world premiere mm. play and the importance of bringing new work to life in general and to Seattle specifically? No pressure. <laughs> Literally, that's. I think that's also why the weight, and it's not just on my shoulders. I know the boys also want to do really well, and but I think that is why I've been taking it so seriously, and I've had these little meltdowns, more meltdowns than I've ever had <laughs> with a project because it's world premiere, because this is Emily's baby, because Paul has been with it for so long and 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 wants to bring it to life, and now also because. Aaron and Sarah and Gavin and Nora Umbrella Project want it to also be their baby and bring it to life. So there I just mentioned how many parents who want to make sure that, <laughs> that not only myself, but that Sam and Alex, we take care of this baby, we smoothly birth it to the world, and let all of you Seattle amazing people and anyone who comes into town September 11th between October 3rd watch this baby grow. So it, it is a lot of pressure. And I think it would be silly to take it lightly. Eh, whatever, it's no big deal. Because you want to honor it. And I'm not saying I don't feel that pressure with any show. You want every show or film or any project you work on to be putting all of you in it and, and creating it. But I think what's exciting is I get to be the first one. If it ever is published, first performed at West of Lennon, September 11th, 2015, is Angela DeMarco. I mean, there's that... I am the first actor fully bringing Iza 
to the stage of the full product, but I don't want to take away from the women who read Isa before me. I want to do them proud, just like right. I do the writers and producers. So it's something of a, um, I feel honored. I feel scared shitless. Can I swear? Yes, absolutely. Uh, and I cannot wait. I really think that this role is one of those, even if nobody came, although I'm hoping tons of people will come, <laughs> that I am so glad that I got to just be part of this process and creating it with these people. And last night, again, when we did this first run, I think all of us just, at the end, we all just looked at each other and we had all our tech crew with us and everybody was just like, shit, we just birthed this thing and we're all in this delivery room together for lack of a better and it feels really good. It's pretty, uh, it's, it's pretty magical. It is. It's magical. It's been a very magical experience. The images, the words, the connections, the energy last night that we felt. And we're just in a rehearsal room. We're not even on stage yet. So I can't even imagine when you add lights and sound and the set and the audience. Oh, and Katie, she'll be there. <laughs> so I'm, I'm, I'm humbled by being part of the world premiere. Humbled. I have this theory... I call it acting karma. I don't know if that's appropriate or not, but I firmly believe that as actors, we get the roles that we get at the times in our life that we need to get them. Oh, no. Can you talk about... I mean, you're talking about how this has been one of the most challenging roles you've ever done. Mm-hmm. What... Can you talk a little bit about that relationship that Angela has to Isa? Like, what is that relationship and how are you similar and different and because it's like dating isn't it it's like this person that you carry with you for what six to eight weeks yeah and then you get to break up with them and you have fond memories of the time you spend with them but it is this uniquely personal experience that only you can really speak to yeah it's uh i don't want to do any spoilers again with the show and I also don't want to get in trouble revealing any personal stuff between me and my husband. <laughs> but what I, well, I will say this, which I think I can put this out here. The story is about three people, a triangle for lack of a better, uh, two of which are married, Mason and Isa. And then my ex-lover, Billy. So I will say... I love my husband and I don't have some weird ex-lover that I'm having a thing or anything like that. So none of that is uh, a connection for Angela. However, what is a connection, and let me just put this out there for anybody listening. I love my theater community. I love you guys. I miss you. That being said, Iza has a line and a lot of what she is saying with Mason is they have left the city after a horrific accident Mason takes me to the woods so that we can heal, so that I can heal. And what I continually say to him and what we both realize is once you leave the city, people don't give a fuck about you. That's a line. And they don't remember you. Unless you move back, you don't exist. And what's interesting, even though I'm really telling Mason that in the play, there was a moment, and I remember talking to Paul once on our drive home, I drive Paul home. And I told him, I said, it's really interesting because I feel that way when I started Mighty Tripod Productions, which is a production company my husband and I have. And we teach local actors here in Seattle about transferring from stage to screen and just acting for the camera. And also we produce films and such. And because of that, I started doing more film work and doing more television. Not because I wanted to do less theater. It's just a passion that I felt uh, I had. I knew I had, and I feel like we have kind of a hole in Seattle that needed to be filled. But yet when Dave and I started doing that, I really felt my theater community disappear. And there was a moment about a year and a half ago, I felt pretty alone and that I didn't exist in that world anymore. 
And it really affected when I was auditioning. And then when I started diving in and it was so difficult. And then I thought, oh, maybe I'm not worthy of this show. Maybe I'm not worthy of this role. And then I realized that's a lot of what is is going through. Am I worthy for this love of Mason? Do people give a fuck about me? Who remembers me? Do I exist? Am I enough? And she has even those lines. Isa says, well, I'm not enough. And Billy tells her you are. And she says, clearly, I'm not. Mm. And again, that's where I'll just put my vulnerability here on the table is who, not who. I often think that. Am I enough? I often wonder, am I enough for my partner? Am I, I don't want to get all emotional, but I probably will. Am I enough for my partner? Am I enough for my art? Am I enough for my mother? Am I enough uh, for the community? Am I enough for this role? Uh, and it's so much bigger. And I think where I really have connected with Isa are the big life statements she'll make in such a categorical way. And Paul will tell me, just have her throw it away because it's just fact. And yet, Angela, I am not yet in a place where I can embrace those facts. So I can't even get through and say, oh, yeah, they don't remember you. People don't give a fuck about you when you move out of the city, which is one of the lines. For Angela to say that, I'd probably cry every other word. <laughs> so for Isa, it's, it's been eerie how many things this woman is going through and just doubt how we as women and men, but can doubt. And when it comes to love, when do you find the person that truly loves you for who you are and that you can fully be yourself with them? Mm. And I didn't have that till I met David. So this play is this really interesting juxtaposition between Mason and Billy. Where does Isa fit in either of these lives of these two very different men and what do they each do for her and I'm not saying whether that's right or not but I think it's been something for me diving into this character to just be as Angela's been vulnerable the night that I think it was about a week ago I like blurbed to Paul in the car again on a drive home <laughs> and he's like I said you gotta give me the Buddha Buddha director blanket and he's like I don't know what that means I was like I need you to comfort me <laughs> And it was great because Paul said, I'm not going to do that. Mm. But he said, you should feel vulnerable. You should be scared. You should be doubting where you're at right now in the process. I just need to tell you to embrace it. He got out of the car, went home. I cried the rest of the way home because mm. he was right. And as soon as I, Angela, embraced, this is hard. I realized it was also half, and I'm not method or going that thing. Let's not go down that road. But there was also, I realized it was me needing to break through that wall for Isa that she feels the same way. She's really vulnerable. She is, and she's, she needs to fully embrace it. And it's so hard when you got two people coming at you from different angles. So if you're fully embracing it with this guy, which is a totally different world, and then with this guy too, and it's a totally different world, you better fully embrace your own vulnerability yourself, or how can you be true to either? Maybe she's not being true to either. You'll have to see the play. But, uh, yeah, so I think when you asked me that question, it was a very long tail on the kite to come full circle. I just think Isa and I really connect with our vulnerability, but that deep down we are indignant, strong women, intelligent women. And sometimes people don't know what to do with a strong woman. Like you said, you see me on Facebook or you see me on Twitter or Instagram and I seem so happy and busy and everyone thinks, <laughs> oh, mighty Angela, I am just as messed up as the next woman <laughs> or artist or human. I am super vulnerable. I am fragile. I, I cannot always be mighty. And uh, either can Issa. And we all need... Another line she has, which I love, is this is the time for healing. And mm. if we could all make that statement, oh, and then actually do it, oh. <laughs> come on now. One of the things that interests me most about the craft of acting, and for myself and, and for other actors as well, is keeping those emotional boundaries <laughs> psychological boundaries mm -hmm. you want to go into the character 
you want to disappear into the character but without losing yourself or at the risk of your mental health, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. In your craft, what what is your process to sort of keep those keep those boundaries not rigid but fluid, but also taking care of yourself? If that makes any sense, that, I know that's sort of a convoluted mm -hmm. question. That makes so much sense. Uh, and I'll just say this from <laughs> my gut and from the top of my head right yeah. now that I, I almost feel with theater, I'm not saying it's easier. It's not. But during the rehearsal process, I find, especially during this, even though I just drew those two lines, I was obviously struggling me, Angela, on the craft on from memorizing to oh my body I'm bruised I'm sore blue but what's great about theater with most uh, even equity houses you're doing two and a half to four weeks rehearsal right so a lot of times I find that it can be easier to step out or you're talking a lot more in the room so even if you are getting caught up in it it doesn't bog me down as much as in in messing with me but once I open mm. That's when I found, uh, I did a, not a similar play, but similar as in it challenged me. That's why when I said this is one of the hardest, was Trout Stanley. And I did oh, that sure. years ago um, with Balligan Theater. But uh, Ryan Higgins, God bless him, he really rooted for me. And David Gassner, uh, who saw something in me. No one would normally cast me in that kind of a role. And I think is similar in that way. Because there was a fragility about both of those roles. The role I did in Trout Stanley and what I'm doing here with Knocking Bird. And again, because people know me as Angela and strong and mighty. But we're actors. So hello. Let us try to, <laughs> right? Anywho. But during that, it was a really, you know, the character, you know, almost kills herself several times. She's so alone. Life is crap. And it really did mess with me once we were open. And I think the reason why it's different once I'm open is because I don't get the little community of doing rehearsals every night where I can vent to my director or my fellow actors. And even though you could do that in the green room, I get very locked in about, very serious about my work. So I'm not goofing off a lot at intermission or I'm really like trying to stay in the, in the zone. But honestly, for me, just to compare the two, when I do film, that has been a lot harder for what you're talking oh, about. So uh, I recently did a film called The Device uh, with the October people. And Jeremy Berg, who's an amazing director I worked with on a short, and from this short, which was this traumatized woman called Trauma, which we produced, Mighty Tripod produced, and Jeremy uh, and John Portanova wrote and uh, directed which was just this messed up woman. And they were like, A, Angela can scream. Awesome. <laughs> I think it was more than that. But also she was just so damaged. And we brought it into this kind of sci-fi paranormal horror. And that movie really messed with me. And David got to be in it with me. Um, or I got to be in it with David. Mm -hmm. And in it, the they're married, our characters. His character got really dark and really twisted. And get to the point, Angela. Point is, it, it, it was weird. Like, the, there's this really horrific scene, and even in rehearsals, and the reason why I say film is more difficult, it's a lot more short, it's a lot, it's a lot shorter, the process. Some directors don't even rehearse. Thank goodness Jeremy Berg does, so we did have some rehearsals, but I remember when we hit that rehearsal um, night, real quick, one of this scene, and he's like yelling at me, and he's totally lost it, and he's almost mm. abusive. It was not a happy night in the DeMarco Hogan household. When we filmed that scene, it messed with me. I couldn't even, I didn't even want to sleep in the bed with David that night. I don't think I even verbalized that to David till after we were done shooting. I remember before we started shooting, the night that I went out in my backyard, I looked up at the stars and they just looked different. Like I swore that aliens were there. Not, not like Angela was losing it, but I just, it seemed like a different... Like, I had to, me, Angela, the artist, make it that this is the world we live in. So there's something weird about film where you, ha I understand when you hear stories like, so-and-so went crazy, or so-and-so went to their father's funeral in character, or you hear all this, or they did acid so they could be so-and-so, uh, and then they use the <laughs> word method again. Yeah, I'm not saying any of that. I'm just saying... It's a lot shorter of a process, so you have to fully dive in, and that's where I think some people can go cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. So where I love theater is that I still do dive in, but I feel like it's safer for me, personally. 
there's been a few, and this will probably be one of them, where I am definitely drained, exhausted, internally and emotionally beat up, probably character and Angela, but it's easier for me to exhale. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. That was a fascinating... I just want to hear you talk for hours. You're <laughs> just so goddamn articulate. Oh, my goodness. Um, thank you for that answer. Of course. I want to hear more about Mighty Tripod Productions. Sure. Where was the idea for that? What birthed that into the world? Sure. And what's going on? And how can people find information? And all that good stuff. Oh, great. Uh, I'm Angela DeMarco. <laughs> I was, and I approve this message. And I approve of this message. And I'm an actor. Um, I, I was born and raised in Seattle. And my mom at the time was a single mom. And it was her and, and me and my sister and my older sister, Jennifer. And Jenny kept me busy, which is great. She'd write little plays for me. And we'd, like, perform them for the neighborhood. And, and she'd charge money. And I never saw any of the money. Oh, uh, Jenny... <laughs> She took care of me because my mom was working so many jobs. So, right, right. uh, God bless her. And that made me sound like my mom, my mom is alive. That made me sound like, Oh God bless her. My mom is a badass. So what's great is my mom knew this. This is a long tail again on the kite, but my mom knew this uh, woman who owned this antique shop and she used to take me there and I would just play running around as you do. And I'd be imitating Pee Wee Herman before he was a creepo. And... <laughs> The woman's daughter was an actress, and that's how they first saw me. And long story short, they introduced me to that woman's agent. And so I was like eight years old. So I got an agent, and that's how I met all the casting directors in this town who've all known me since I was that wacky little eighth grader. And we were super poor. We were living the projects over there in in, uh, West Seattle, in uh, Rat City. And it was just something. My mom is not a momager. She's not a stage mom. It was my crazy, wackadoo, energy ball daughter likes doing this. Cool. Let's just have fun. Fast forward, I meet David. And what I realize Seattle is still lacking is there's not a ton of education or help for kids to do acting for the camera in this town. There are some great people like Patty Callis. Love her, amazing casting director, and has a great education uh, and outreach for kids in the town. Uh, Freehold and a couple of the schools have some things, but not a real base. And because I had done at this point, this is when I now met David, we both were professional theater actors, but wanted to dabble more in film, but it is a different medium. All the same core values, so actors don't get it twisted. It still should be given circumstance, be a text detective, look at where you are, what do you want, you know, the whole where am I, who am I talking to, what do I want, what's in my way, how am I going to get it, blah, blah, blah. But not blah, blah, blah. Those are the things you learn in theater that I think so many actors can pull over into film. And I just wanted to be able to share that with kids. So originally I told David, I remember we were poor, and thank goodness... Uh, Patty Callis and Jody Rothfield, uh, they used to hook my mom up back in the day, I don't know if they remember, with scholarships or a, you know, half off, whatnot. Seattle Children's Theater, which was rocking and rolling then, and they still are today, would also uh, help my mom so I could work with their program. And I told David, I want to give back, because at the time I was working with an outreach program with kids, and I was teaching them sex and life and drug awareness but through acting which I know is interesting but it also was I wanted to reach kids who did want to release an artistic voice but where are they going to go and if they can't afford it you know what are you going to do so we also wanted to start producing our own work a big thing that a lot of people know about me is I do a lot of hashtags that are don't wait create and that is theater and also film I've met so many actors, and there's a lot less film and TV opportunities in this town than theater. So a lot of actors are like, how do I even do it? I would, well, just create your own. Nowadays, people are shooting stuff on iPhones. Right. But I also want good stuff to be representing the Northwest. We've got some amazing, strong uh, directors and writers in this town that are starting to put us on the map. And I want the actors to be doing the same. And I think it's easy for a lot of us to just get lazy because we're a small town and think we'll never get on the map. And I don't think that's true. 
and it's starting even more now. We have Z Nation, and mm. even though Portland is right there, just our wonderful sister or brother, whichever you want to call it, but we have Grimm there and Librarians, and Twin Peaks is coming back here, and there's tons of features that keep coming through town here. Uh, Laggies and uh, Ira Finkelstein's Christmas, now called Switchmas. So we just thought opening our own company, A, would be good, and at that point we were starting to teach adults. So it was also like, we need to put a name to these classes we're holding. We hadn't really done it. And where the name came from was, oh, I'm going to get emotional again. <laughs> our, may she rest in peace, our first dog, Vita, life, who was a boxer mix. Dave and I ado- uh, rescued her from L.A. Dave and I lived in L.A. for a bit, and that was a pretty tumultuous time. And I'm telling you, Vita did save our lives. She probably saved our relationship. She uh, she had some aggression. She was abused. And we had to, like a baby, we had to give her everything. When we moved back to Seattle, we found out she had bone cancer. And we had to remove one of her legs. Wow. And thank goodness that we did. And we put her on a little bit of chemo. And we got to have her another year and six months. Thus, Mighty Tripod. Oh, wow. So a lot of people, it's also a play, obviously, on a camera tripod, but it really comes from our, our baby, from Vita, because David made this beautiful poster of her running on the beach with her three legs, hmm. and it says perseverance. And it's true, because in this job, if you don't persevere, then, then what? If you aren't always constantly pushing forward and constantly pushing yourself and pushing your art, and that's what we try to do with Mighty Tripod Productions. Not only do we want to produce work that's maybe pushing the envelope or crossing the line, but we also want to push our students. So now not only do I do private coaching for young actors, but and we try to keep it at affordable rates, uh, and then we also teach adult classes, which we charge them the normal. Uh, <laughs> but, but it's also something that it's just something new that isn't being offered here in town. Or And we'll even still talk with Patty and Jody and... Uh, we're working now with Meg McLinn, who works at Freehold. Oh, fantastic. And she's going to come in. She's also my best friend. Holla. Uh, but we're <laughs> going to bring her in to be teaching a great movement class with us. Kayla Verne is going to come and work with us on an improv class. Tony Dupay, who's an amazing director and actor, works with us. So we also try to bring in other artists. So, again, it's just making well-rounded actors representing Seattle. So we hope Mighty Tripod is just something that can constantly be known as a great resource for Northwest actors and maybe soon beyond. We might start doing like something online for people out of state. We get a lot of people contacting us who have nothing in their cities. Right. A lot of small cities or states that don't get film or theater at all. I mean, they all get something, but you know what I mean. That are, how can I do this? Well, could, just give me some tips. So I think for us it's... Uh, Trying to give back, but continue doing what we love. Yes. Love it. Okay. Where can people find more information about... Uh, MightyTripod.com. And then I love your posts on Facebook. Is, is it called The Mighty Minute? You have these little oh, bite-sized Katie. videos. So we first did Mighty Mondays, and then... Which was just every Monday we tried to do something really quick and it was David, you know, videoing us on his iPhone and then we'd post it. And again, it's just getting our, not just getting our faces out there, meaning getting a positive energy out there. So then we kind of got lazier, busier, I don't know, who knows, I was eating nachos, uh, <laughs> which I do a lot. So now we do them called, now we do a mighty minute because I think what happened is our schedules were so wacky. We couldn't be like always on Mondays and then it'd be a Sunday and we'd be trying to shoot so blip. So now we just do a mighty minute. They're rarely ever a minute. They're usually longer. But it's the thought that counts. And the mighty minute is exactly that. And David's tagline is news, views, and education. It does uh, cater most to the Northwest. Sometimes we do stuff that's a generic overall. But it's a lot about when SIF was around, we talk about SIF, or the Gregory Awards are coming up, so we'll do a plug for that. If we have something personal, like we're plugging a class right now, we have a five-week course coming up. We also have our first feature film that Mighty Tripod produced, Paralytic. Paralytic. Uh, So a lot of updates will be coming up for that. So it's something that, A, it's just fun. Dave and I love to be dorks. 
And I think, just like I told you, everyone should show their vulnerability. I think it's important. Oh, look at the baby. Do you guys hear the little baby? I'm going to keep that in because that's adorable. I think that is adorable. (laughs) Makes my ovaries swell. I think (laughs) that it's also important to show your goofy side and your dorky side, if you have it. If you don't, nothing's worse than somebody pretending they're dorky goof. But Dave and I are dorky goofs. So it was also something that we could do together. You mentioned your first feature film, Paralytic. Yes. Tell me more. So Paralytic is a suspense thriller, you could say. Joey Johnson, who's an amazing writer-director. David Hogan, my husband, worked with him on Joey's first feature, which was called Shadowed. It also happened to be David's first feature film. Uh, David had just really started diving into the film world, and they just made an amazing connection and relationship. And Joey told David, I definitely would love to work with you again. You love it when a director always says that, and then it's always like, well, we'll see. You never see them again or hear from them again. Well, ring, ring, knock, knock. Knocking bird. (laughs) Just had to... The comedy style. Yes. Subliminal, subliminal. Joey reached out to us and said, I would. I have an, another feature. I would love to do this with you guys. And it actually wasn't paralytic. It was a different film that we really wanted to get going, and it just ended up being something way bigger of a budget that eventually I still would love to do it. But then from that came paralytic, which was a little more condensed, a little bit more streamlined. And Joey said, I think this one we could do, and I would love Mighty Tripod to produce with me. Wow. And of course we said, oh my God, yes. So we did no pre-casting except our two roles. A uh, big thing for David and myself is that we make it very clear. These roles are taken so people know right up front. So it's not a, oh, we're going to audition just to pretend that we're auditioning. But really, Angela, no. We just let people know, like, hey, we're cast. But the plus of that is then Dave and I were in the room and we got to be the readers with the actors. It was such a trip being on the other side of the table. I love it. I've, uh, I used to direct a lot of theater back in the day, especially when I first lived in L.A. before I met David. This was in my 20s. And being on the other side film-wise was just to be a producer and casting director. It was really amazing and really reminded me, God, how crazy and nerve-wracking auditioning can be. Mm. And how amazing and inspiring Northwest actors are. We had so many, and we had amazing theater actors come in too. Dave and I, of course, really mixed the pool because we wanted Joey to see new faces. And it was so cool seeing them come and then also bring the script to life that Joey wrote, but he was letting Dave and I help him with input as we were doing rewrites. So we are wrapped. We shot the full film. Congratulations. Thank you. We did a full local cast. So we didn't do dropping a L.A. name in there. It is all local Seattle actors. It is Seattle homegrown, baby. And Mighty Tripod is so thrilled. It looks unbelievable. And I am not tooting my horn. I am tooting Dominic Barbaro's horn. He was our cinematographer, our DP. He brought such an artistry to what he was shooting with his camera. It is redonkulous. We were posting a lot of photos, and people thought we had green screened. I also have to give credit then to Joey because he found amazing locations for Dominic to do so. And we shot the not majority, but a big chunk of the film at Cave B Winery. Oh wow! I'll give them a shout as well because it is just epic. So you know you've got this me and David kissing on a cliff, and it just is so magical and. It was my first time getting to work with Duran Brigden and my first time really getting to dive in uh, with D'Angelo Medilli and uh, Richard Carmen. Darlene Sellers is our female lead who plays the sheriff who is trying to figure out this whole storyline. So it's a little bit of a memento, like the movie Memento. Right. In that there are two, at least, storylines going. So it's that of the cartel and the contract killer, Carson, who's David S. Hogan. The contract killer, Clarissa, which is Angela DeMarco. And how their affair evokes some drama in the cartel. Dun-dun-dun. Dun-dun. And Darlene's character is the small-town sheriff 
who is in the now who finds a dead body and it's unraveling whose dead body is this and what got us to this dead body type of a thing. It's exciting. It is pretty exciting. It so is pretty exciting. Just because I'm sort of a neophyte to, okay, you've wrapped this. What happens now? Do you submit it to festivals? Is there going to be a premiere? Well, I think we definitely are aiming towards SIF because it is Seattle homegrown. It was such a Northwest uh, trophy that we want to be able to put on our mantle that everybody here was local. And because it's Mighty Tripods first, and Joey has such a respect for SIF, as does uh, Mighty Tripod and David and myself. So I think that's the route we would like to go. So we'll submit to SIF, and hopefully they accept us. And then after that, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. You know, nowadays things are changing. So it's uh, same with theater. It's everybody now just kind of goes on their computer. Or everybody's stuck in their phone. So you got to be doing something new to get their attention. So I don't think we're so worried about can we get theatrical release. Everybody's like, when is it going to be VOD? When can I get it on right, Hulu? Right. When can I get it on Netflix? Right. I just gave them shout outs. So uh, for sure we want to do one big festival screening and then we'll see what happens from there. But to turn that around onto like Knocking Bird, what I want to give a shout out and huge plug to what Umbrella Project is doing, which they want to do, I believe, with any of the new works that they produce from here on out. All they're going to be doing is producing new works. We just worked with, we brought, uh, they hired Mighty Tripod, Umbrella Project did, and uh, our friend Tony Tibbetts, who is also an amazing cinematographer, director, writer, everything. I don't know what Tony doesn't do. But they hired us to do not only their campaign, which they're running a Kickstarter right now to raise some funds to really get Umbrella Project going and continue on. So we just like filmed all those great interviews you guys can see. But they also hired us to do a trailer for Knocking Bird. And I know some theaters do it, but a lot of times what you'll see, which I still think is amazing, so please theaters, keep doing it. You'll see they've recorded a show or they've recorded some rehearsals and then they'll put that out there. But I think Theater Schmieder actually does like trailers, like more conceptual. Because I remember seeing those and I was like, that is badass. That's the way to do it. So Nora and Gavin and uh, Sarah and Aaron's thought let's meld these worlds, these mediums, because you'll see it on their Kickstarter campaign. One of the folks that was interviewed even says uh, about theater, you know, when a new movie comes out, people can't wait to see it. And that's how we should feel about new works. <gasps> There's a new play. I can't wait to see it. Right. So we want to get new eyes and new community and reach all people instead of just our wonderful little fringe base community or even our theater community. We want to reach even, you know, folks at Microsoft who maybe don't always go to theater or moviegoers. So by doing a trailer and we completely filmed off the page, so it wasn't filming rehearsals, it's we literally made what you would think as a trailer. And I got to see the first crack at it. Tony sent Nora and I a uh, rough cut for lack of a better. It's so cool. <laughs> it's so cool. And, and what was great for Tony, at first I was like, well, that Tony, you know, should Tony do it? Tony's not in the play. He's not in the rehearsal. But it was actually really great to have an outsider, to have right. a filmmaker, and this is what Nora wanted, to bring filmmaking components into the theater components, into this new work, into how can we keep new works alive and sustainable? What, or maybe that's not the right word. A longevity. A lot of times a new work gets a run and then that's it. Or they get a run and no one goes. So she's already thinking outside the box by making this trailer. It's going to get a, a lot more eyes, I think. It's going to get a lot more buzz. Oh, did you see that one image when he's in the woods and oh, and she's screaming or whatever. I don't know. Did I give away more stuff? Um, so it's so clever. And I think we need to just be continuing whatever you're doing for all of you guys out there, whether you're... And for you writers out there, we all need to be just thinking more and more outside the box. And for me as an artist, but also as an audience member, on the boards, which is a yes. local theater company here in Seattle, hands down, everything they do, it just blows me away. And Sean Ryan, who was a dear friend of mine and David's, and I say was only because we haven't seen him in forever. We miss you, Sean. He is still an amazing dear friend and always will be. 
So, Sean Ryan, years ago, uh, I wrote a play called Always. And this was my first crack at playwriting. And it got published for a little stint. But I brought him on to direct. And that was, and this is years ago. So, this is probably 12 years ago. Maybe, maybe, yeah, 12 years ago. And he brought so much then to it. He had us doing... Uh, microphones uh, to speak some of the text, images, projections, and nobody was really doing that. He now works, I believe he still is, still is at, um, on the board, and they continue to just blow me away with the stuff that they're doing. It's in your face. It's melding so many different mediums. And I really would love, I think Mighty Tripod wants to start doing that more. Exciting news. I can't say what yet, but we're going to produce our first play. What? What? Uh, next year in 2016, I can't say too much yet. Um, we're talking with another theater company cause we might want to do a co-pro or we may just fully produce it on our own. Right. But it's just, again, don't wait, create. I miss theater being in this show. Knocking bird has made me realize, okay, I could sit around bitching that nobody calls me anymore. And if you leave the city, they fucking forget you. Oh, I keep saying the F word, but it's a line, grandma. It's a line <laughs> in case grandma's listening. Love you, grandma. Uh, <laughs> so my point is, I just realized, well, how could I say that about film, but not theater? So I'm not going to wait. Then I'll produce it myself, which I know is not easy. I don't want anyone to think I'm trying to say producing is easy. It's not. That was such an, boy, I have so many kites with these long ass tails. I love all of your kites with all of the long ass tails. I think the motto of this interview <laughs> is don't wait, create. And I love it. Yes. And I want all of our listeners to take that to heart. Yeah. I feel for me with this podcast, that was a don't wait, create moment. Definitely. Yeah. And it serves us all well as artists to have that sense of agency and not waiting for something to be polished. I mean, just go out and, and make some stuff happen. So this is the end of our time. Angela, thank ah! you so much for being a guest. You're going to, if you're listening to this episode, you're going to want to check out the description to get the links and more information about both Mighty Tripod Productions and Knockingbird and The Umbrella Project. Yes. Thank you so much. Thank you, Katie.